Hey, welcome to Conversations with my dear friend, Jeff Conway. My name is Susan. This is A Different Kind of Walk. Hey friends, over Father's Day, I was given the opportunity to preach at Redemption Church in Bristol, PA, and the topic happened to be a perfect fit for this podcast, so Jeff twisted my arm and said that I had to post it here. The scripture reading is by my friend Marjorie Mott, and remember as you listen that Gary is my husband and my father has terminal cancer. Enjoy the episode. This is Romans 8, verses 31 to the end. 39. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor death, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. God loves you. God loves you. God loves you. So what's the worst that can happen? Usually when we say that, we mean it in a very dismissive sort of way. But seriously, what's actually the worst thing that could happen to you? There's a movie that Gary and I love. It's called Butter. And in one scene, the main character, who's a little girl, is sitting in the car with her recently adoptive father. And she's getting ready to walk into a building and sign up for the county butter sculpting competition. But she's a little nervous. So her dad says, what's the worst that can happen? And they sit there for 10 minutes talking about how ninjas could fall from the sky or the whole building could be a vacuum and she'll be turned inside out or there could be a Miley Cyrus concert in there, or it could be full of piranhas that have learned how to walk. Compared to that, signing up for something doesn't sound so bad, huh? He says, and she goes in. 
God loves you. So what's the worst thing that could happen to you? I know that God loves me, but for me, I could injure my vocal cords and never be able to sing again. That can happen. Or I could have large motorcycles drive past my house every five seconds. Or my daughter could get kidnapped. My husband could die suddenly of an aneurysm just like his cousin did. Or I could lose my father to cancer. God loves you. What's the worst thing that could happen to you? Scripture does not say that if you're loved by God, God will protect you from pain. So what good is being loved by God? If it doesn't protect you from anything, what good is it? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved, Acts says. But saved from what? There are hundreds, thousands, millions of people throughout history who believed in God, who believed in Jesus, and were still sent to the Colosseum, still burnt at the stake, still sent to the guillotine, still killed in Holocaust camps or starved to death as children, massacred in their hometown, imprisoned wrongly, abducted and abused, sexually harassed at work, living in 24-hour pain, or lost multiple members of their family in one year due to COVID or something else. If the love of God doesn't save us from pain, what's the point? Why believe? In the book of Romans, Paul is writing to a people who are experiencing difficult times. People within the Roman church came from diverse faith backgrounds, probably diverse ethnicities as well, and they don't get each other. And they are, they're arguing amongst themselves. But then on a larger level, while Jews and pagans had been around for centuries, Christians, people who believed in Christ, were a pretty new and small group of people. And when there's a new minority group in an area, it's pretty easy for them to be misunderstood, feared, and blamed for stuff. Jesus's followers were persecuted. Paul should know. He used to seek them out to kill them until he became one of them. And it wasn't gonna get any better. Less than 10 years after this letter was written, the Great Fire would ravage Rome, destroying 70% of the city, leaving half of its population homeless. The emperor, Nero, just let the fire burn. And then he blamed it on Christians. As a result, he burnt them alive. So almost as though Paul knew what was coming, he tells them, that no matter what happens, nothing, nothing can separate them from God's love. Nothing. The worst thing that can happen to them, no matter what it is, 
cannot separate them from a love that big. Okay, well, that's cool and all that Jesus loves us, but what if we die? What if we're tortured? What if Nero burns us alive? What good is God's love if it doesn't save us from pain? Paul's letter is telling us that pain is actually not the enemy. Death is not actually the enemy. We all experience pain, we all die. In fact, God let Jesus, no, I'll restate that. God lets God's self feel pain and endure death on a cross, a cruel death at the hands of the people who should have loved him. So why should we expect an easy life? Who are we to be so entitled? Now the enemy is not pain or death. The enemy is fear. The enemy is selfishness. The enemy is caring so much about my own comfort and my own body and my own stuff that I'm willing to hurt others, oppress others, push others down in order to make my life easy. I recently told someone in a podcast that I'm not afraid of death. I'm afraid of those moments in my life that I'm in so much pain that I treat others badly. Like don't even ask Gary about how rude I was to him when I went into labor with Augie. And don't ask him how mean I can be when he hurts my feelings. These things, these are the things that God's love saves us from. In the midst of hearing hatred and not love come from his own wife, Gary is enveloped in the love of God, letting him know that he is not defined by my anger or my hurt. And later, when I'm ashamed of my anger and the hurt that it caused, God's love envelops me and reminds me that I am not anchored to my mistakes. God's love, it saves us from ourselves. And over time, the more we dive in and let the enormous love of God change us, make us people of love, joy, peace, patience, endurance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, the more it spreads. These things are what God's spirit looks like. And even in a world filled with pain, the spirit of God is infectious. I want to leave you with a story, the story of Korah. Romans 8.36 is a quote from Psalm 44.22. It's a little bit of a jarring quote right there in the middle of this passage. Doesn't seem to fit. But when the New Testament quotes one Old Testament verse, we're supposed to look over the entire psalm. Psalm 44, the whole thing, 
is about Israel long ago in distress, Israel afraid, persecuted by their enemies, calling out for God to save them from pain and death. By quoting this, Paul is reminding the church in Rome, you've been here before. And God came to you. Jesus came to you, died and rose for you, and taught you to not be afraid. Interestingly enough, this psalm is by the sons of Korah, who are Levite musicians. You need to hear the story of Korah from Numbers 16 to get why this is significant. Korah is afraid. Moses has led the people of Israel out into the desert, and Korah is afraid that they will starve and die. He forgets the ways that God has provided in the past, rescuing them from cruel slavery in Egypt. He forgets that God has miraculously provided the people with water and bread and meat all the way out in the desert. And he complains that God is being unfaithful because they aren't yet in the promised land, a land flowing with milk and honey, riches and easy living. And letting his fear consume him and letting the enemy consume him, Korah spreads that fear to hundreds of others and they lead a revolt against Moses. As a result, Korah and his followers are swallowed up by the ground. What's the worst thing that can happen? Korah thought that the worst thing that could happen was his death. But in his fear of his own death, he became the guy who caused the deaths of over 250 people. The worst thing that can happen is that we become so consumed by our own selves that we become impervious to the transformative love of God. I'll say that again. The worst thing that can happen is that we become so consumed by our own selves that we become impervious to the transformative love of God. That's the worst thing that can happen to any of us. Without the transformative love of God, we will hurt those we love. Without the transformative love of God, we will become trapped in our own heads, in our own shame. Without the transformative love of God, we will be afraid of things that we don't need to be. But let me remind you one last time of what Paul says about the love of God. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution, famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, 
nor angels, nor demons, neither the present or the future, nor any powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. The love of God is always there, always. Open up to it, own it. God loves you. Let it change you. Let it save you. Because the love of God saves us from ourselves. And then it expands out and can save the whole world. <laughs>